Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We're your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we are going to do an intro to the drama episode for the Tang Dynasty drama called Weaving a Tale of Love or Feng Qi Ni Shang. We'll go over at a high level the plot for the drama, introduce the cast and characters, discuss the historical setting for the drama, and some key historical counterparts. This won't be a review of the drama, but rather an introduction to the history portrayed in the drama. I think this will be a good setup since it looks like we are going to be heading off to the Tang Dynasty anyways for our next drama on our podcast. If you are interested in watching this drama, it is available on Jubao TV, which is available on several platforms in the U.S. It also just launched on Plex TV and is available for free with English subtitles. This drama, Weaving a Tale of Love, first aired in January of 2021 and stars the beautiful Gu Li Najia and Timmy Xu Weizhou as the main couple. This podcast is in English with some phrases and certain words spoken in Mandarin Chinese. We also do some of our own translations, which means that they won't match the subtitles found on Jubao. Set during the reign of the second Tang Dynasty Emperor, Tang Taizong, the drama opens with us meeting a seven-year-old Ku Di Liu Li. She has a gift for embroidery, but her mother, who works at a dress shop in the Tang capital, forbids her from learning. It so happens that her mother, Madame An, is a former seamstress at court and one of the best seamstresses in the world. She wants to keep her family safe, however. But one day, Madame An's former student and current seamstress in the palace, Hu Jinyang, pays her a visit and requests Madame An's help in creating an extravagant outfit for consort Yang, who Hu Jinyang and the current head seamstress in the palace believe will be selected as the next empress. The two women decide to create this dress because they think that Consort Yang will be the next empress and will also favor these two women if they were smart enough to create this dress ahead of time. However, the product that Hu Jinyang puts together is not that great, and so she goes to seek out her former teacher. Under veiled threats by Hu Jinyang that endangered the safety of Madame An's daughter, Liu Li, Madame An agrees to help finish the outfit. However, Madame An had a feeling something might go awry and sends her young daughter to safety. Liu Li is sent to help finish an outfit for the young Wu Caiyan, who is to be presented to the emperor. Madame An's worst nightmare comes true when the beautiful outfit she completes angers the emperor who had absolutely no intention of making consort Yang the empress. Hu Jinyang does not hesitate to push all of the blame onto Madame An, who is severely punished. Wu Taiyuan and also a handsome young boy, Pei Xingjian, who came into the city for the imperial exams, help Liu Li escape, but ultimately fail. Madame An must sacrifice herself to save her young daughter, but not before giving her daughter the secrets of her embroidery and sewing skills. Liu Li is saved and raised by Madame An's good friend in the palace who works at the body disposal service. That is the translation in the drama, but essentially it's kind of the funeral service within the palace. 
For the next eleven years, Wu Caiyin is promoted to be a concubine in the palace. Pei Xingjian, the young boy, now studies military tactics under the famous General Sun, and Liu Li changes her name to Xiao Douzi, or Little Bean, and is raised as a boy and physician in the palace. When Liu Li is close to turning eighteen, her world becomes upended once again, and she is entwined in the strife happening in all facets of palace life. She is also reacquainted with Pei Xingjian. They work together to help discover the truth about her mother's death, and also help push the crown prince Li Zhi to become the next emperor of the Tang Dynasty. So that is what you can expect to see in the first couple of episodes. When this drama aired on Hunan Television, this show surprisingly received very high viewership ratings, and this is why a sequel called Feng Qi Xizhou, with the same cast of Gu Li Najia and Xu Weizhou, has been confirmed. It started filming in late August of 2021 and completed filming. Late November of the same year, so it's been about a little over a year since the completion of filming of the drama. So we'll probably see the airing of this drama in the next couple of months. Though I will say the drama came out at a probably inopportune time because you have you will have three dramas literally called Feng Qi something. So we had Feng Qi Luoyang、uh, air last year. This year or 2022 was.、Um, Ah,、uh, Fengxi Longxi, and now you have Fengxi Xizhou. So people are gonna be very confused as to what they're watching. These two dramas,、uh, the current one, Fengxi Nishang and Fengxi Xizhou, will and are based off of a very popular book called Da Tang Mingyue. In the book, the main female character, as is all the rage. Travels through time and is essentially reincarnated as the main female character, Ku Di Liu Li. I personally have not read the book because it is over three hundred chapters long, but I remember a lot of buzz about the original book when this drama came out. I might pick it up to read when the sequel drama airs, as、uh, this would be good to see, you know, the continuation between these two dramas and how they tie or not to the book itself. This drama stars Gu Li Najia and Xu Weizhou in the main roles. Gu Li Najia is an actress born in Wulumuqi, Xinjiang Province, in 1992, and she is of the Uyghur ethnicity. She studied at the Beijing Film Academy, and her debut role after signing with Tang Ren was in Xuan Yuan Jian Zhi Tian Zhi Heng or Xuan Yuan Sword Scar of Sky. I could say that I've watched her career from the beginning because I remember when that drama came out in 2012, there was quite an uproar because she was so unknown, despite being beautiful, compared to the likes of Liu Shishi, Hu Ge, and Tang Yan, who were supporting her as the main character. When the posters came out and she was front and center, and Liu Shishi and Tang Yan were beside her, let's just say fans were quite upset. Najia has been in numerous dramas since, all with varying success. I mean, she is quite a staple name, but I don't think she's had really a lot of blockbusters.
people all comment on how beautiful she is, not so much her acting skills. Exactly. Unfortunately for her, her personal life usually eclipses her performance in dramas. Uh, this has been the case for several years. Uh, she dated the actor Zhang Han after he broke up with Zheng Shuang and was hounded for years about that relationship. And then last year, she was embroiled with the whole drama of unknowingly being involved as a third party to Xu Kaicheng and Zhang Tianai's relationship, which we had a whole podcast episode about, and since then has kept a relatively low profile. In this drama, she plays Ku Di Liu Li. For me, I was actually most enamored by her dance sequence in episode 11. If anything you take out of this episode today is check out episode 11 because it was actually a very beautiful dance sequence where she does get to showcase her Xinjiang dancing skills. I think it's quite the stereotype that literally growing up, I would always hear about how the women from Xinjiang were all great dancers. And to be honest, the women that we see from Xinjiang province in the Chinese entertainment industry are known for being great dancers. That includes Na Jia, uh, Di Li Zhe and Mai Di Na, who plays um, Madame An or Liu Li's mother in this drama. We will talk a little bit more about the cast, the larger cast, and how they do fit into the history of this drama. As for the main male lead of this drama, he is Xu Wei Zhou. He's an actor from Shanghai born in 1994, so a couple of years younger than Goldie Naja, interestingly enough. He is actually a trained Latin dancer, and I've seen a couple of clips with him and Mao Xiaotong online. He's actually pretty good. And he studied at the National Academy of Chinese Theater Arts uh, in Beijing, which is a little bit more unique because a lot of the actors nowadays or actors and actresses went to the film academy rather than like a, a Chinese theater arts academy. Xu Weizhou is an up-and-coming actor. Uh, the first time I saw him was in Liu Guangzhicheng last year, uh, or City of Streamer. He did that drama with Jing Tian, and I wrote a review for it. So I thought he was pretty good in that drama. Like, not the best, but not bad. He did publicly announced to the surprise of everyone that he did marry his long-term girlfriend, which was shocking given how we've discussed on our podcast that many male actors tend to remain hush-hush about their relationships and actually do not get married when they're in their 20s in order to gain popularity in the market. There was actually a really funny um, live stream between uh, Jing Tian and Xu Weizhou where Jing Tian almost let it slip publicly <laughs> on live stream that um, Xu Weizhou was buying a house because she was like, oh, did you buy a house? Um, I'm not saying it's like a wedding house, blah, blah, blah. And then Xu Weizhou's reaction was like, don't talk about her personal life on a live stream. So that was really funny. For those of us who don't really pay attention too much to Xu Weizhou, this was very much a surprise. There was little paparazzi fanfare. He just posted his wedding certificates online and everyone's like, what? He got married? It was quite a shock earlier this year or earlier last year. Now let's get into the history of this drama. The drama is set in the Tang Dynasty that ruled China from 618 to 907. 
The drama itself starts during the reign of Emperor Tang Taizong Li Shimin in the year Zhen Guan Shiyinian, so around 638. We get a time jump around episode three, so the drama then now jumps to Zhen Guan Arshiarnian, so around 649, which is during the last couple of years of the reign of Li Shimin. We then move on to the reign of Tang Gaozong Li Zhi during the Yonghui period, and that period was from 650 AD to 655 AD. The Yonghui period was Tang Gaozong Li Zhi's first era period, and he used six during his 34-year reign. Nianhao or era names are time periods that the emperor in China set. During their reigns, some emperors only had one era name; others multiple. Emperor Tang Taizong Li Shimin only set one era name, Zhen Guan, but that was rather rare before the Qing Dynasty. Zhen Guan just so happens to be one of the golden ages in Chinese history. So when people talk about Zhen Guan Zhizhi or the Zhen Guan eras, we typically know that that refers to the reign of Li Shimin. Now the Qing Dynasty is a little bit different in this regard because Qing Dynasty emperors just used one Nianhao or era period for their entire reign, and that is the name that we refer to both the emperor and the period. So in Chinese, we would say Qianlong Liu Nian, which we do for the story of Yanzi Palace, and we know that that is referring to 1741, and we know that the emperor then was. Qianlong or Ai Xinjialuo Hongli. However, for other dynasties, it's easier to say the full temple name of the emperor and the era period or era name, so that we know exactly who we are talking about. For example, I was talking or referring to Tang Gaozong Yonghui period, so then I can pinpoint it to 650 to 655 AD. If I just said Yonghui. For Tang Gaozong, it's clear that it's his time period, but for other emperors, it might not be as clear. Or if there's multiple kingdoms or emperors vying for the same name or、uh, for the throne, then the times、uh, or the era names get a little bit murky. Now there are a ton of dramas set during the early period of the Tang Dynasty because, honestly, it's a fascinating era in Chinese history. So many dramas. Also feature Empress Wu Zetian and the various time periods of her life. This drama is what I would consider a unique take on her and her relationship to her husband or her second husband Li Zhi, in that it is a pretty positive relationship. Before we talk about the historical counterparts of our two main characters, Ku Di Liu Li and Pei Xingjian. Let's introduce the emperors and concubines that also drive the plot. First up is, of course, Li Shimin, the second emperor in the Tang Dynasty. He ruled from 626 AD to 649 AD and is possibly one of the most famous emperors in China. His reign, as I mentioned, Zhen Guan, is considered a golden age in Chinese history. In this drama, we skip much of his reign and focus on only his like last two years because while the main characters are 
Wu Zetian or Wu Meiyang and Li Zhi. For Li Shimin, despite having an outsized presence in Chinese history, he died at the age of fifty-one, which in my mind is not that old. Maybe it is due to the dramas that I've watched over the years, and Li Shimin is typically portrayed as an older guy with white hair who is very imposing. But at fifty-one, he's not really that old. I guess maybe compared to. You know, our present or modern sensibilities, he would still be considered in his prime. But I just need to, you know, separate the fact that he is not that old compared to, of course, this next woman who I will bring up, which is Wu Meiyang. Now, as we've discussed in other podcast episodes, women rarely had names recorded in history. The name of Meiyang, meaning glamorous, was indeed bestowed to her by Emperor Li Shimin. She Wu Meiyang was born in 624 AD and died in 705, meaning she died at the age of 81, which is astounding for someone who lived in the seventh century. For this podcast episode, I will cover only her early years because we might cover the later years of her life in separate drama discussions. So I don't want to go. Too much down the rabbit hole of the life that is Wu Meiyang, and honestly, those are like whole drama series in it of itself. Wu Meiyang was the second daughter of Wu Shiyue, a wealthy man who worked in the timber business and who helped fund Li Yuan's rebellion against the Sui Dynasty. Wu Shiyue rose to the rank of Minister of Works or Gongbu Shangshu once. The Tang Dynasty established itself, and he was a favored minister at court. Unfortunately, he died in 635 when Wu Meiyang was only 12. And I was reading it; it seemed like he was so heartbroken over the news of the death of Li Yuan, who is the founding emperor of the Tang Dynasty, that it basically exacerbated his own death. Wu Meiyang's mother hailed from the imperial house of Yang, so she was of noble blood. But of course, her family or the rest of her family basically perished after the downfall of the Sui Dynasty. When her father died, Wu Meiyang's half older brothers basically cut her mother and her off. So. They had to move to the capital city of Chang'an, which is, of course, the current day Xi'an. In 637, Emperor Tang Taizong Li Shimin overheard that this Miss Wu or this Wu Meiyang, which of course wasn't her name at that point, was a beauty, and thus summoned her to become a concubine in his imperial harem. Li Shimin also knew and was acquainted with Wu Meiyang's father, so it wasn't like oh he just randomly picked someone. Out of his empire to become a member or become a concubine,、um, he did know who she was at a certain point. But she was only fourteen when she entered or became his concubine. She was given the title of Cairen of the fifth rank, and of course the name Meiyang, as we see in the drama. The emperor at that time was thirty-eight. 
Yes, the age gap is really big, but at least it wasn't like 58 to 14, which then is kind of like really icky. <laughs> Anyways, although the emperor, Tang Taizong Li Shimin, that is, did have sexual relations with Wu Meiniang, she was not much favored in the imperial harem because she stayed at the title of Cairn for the remaining 12 years of his reign. If she was favored, she probably would have been promoted to at least a Meiren or a Jieyu. Instead, she was basically stuck as a lowly Cairn for over a decade. I remember reading a biography of a Wu Meiniang years ago, and it recounts that during her years as a Cairn, she was basically a glorified secretary, taking notes and cleaning the main palace for the emperor. There, though, she could at least continue her education, which was rare for a woman at the time, and laid the foundation for her subsequent achievements in ruling the empire. However, it was also during her time as a Cairn that she was able to become close with the ninth prince, Li Zhi. They got so close that she began an affair with him. This was extremely scandalous and of course not known by many, if at all, any other people at the time, but her relationship with Li Zhi also laid the groundwork for her return to the palace after her expulsion to live as a nun after the death of Emperor Li Shimin in 649. The adult Wu Meiniang is played by Shi Shi, who, if listeners look closely, is the girl we love to hate, Mulan from the story of Minglan. When we first see adult Wu Meiniang in episode 3, this is the year 648, so the last year or so of Emperor Tang Taizong Li Shimin's reign, and she is currently still a Cairn. But that will soon change with the new reign of a new emperor. Who would become her second husband and was the third emperor of the Tang dynasty. Li Zhi was born in 628. He was Li Shimin's ninth son and the youngest son of Empress Zhang Sun with older brothers including the crown prince Li Chengtian and the prince of Wei, Li Tai. In 631, he was bequeathed the title the prince of Jin or Jin Wang. Growing up, Li Zhi was never meant to inherit the throne and honestly, he was quite happy about it. This young guy was very sincere and to put it bluntly, he was just a very nice young man. Literally no one thought that he was going to inherit the throne. So he was just going to be a prince chilling wherever he found himself. Unfortunately, that all came crashing down when his two older brothers decided to go head to head in an intense rivalry for the throne. Both of them plotted and lost. One went so far as to try to overthrow his own father, and the other tried to pin it on another brother. Disappointed at these two sons, Emperor Li Shimin, with some egging from the Prime Minister Zhang Sun Wuji, who just so happened to be the brother of Empress Zhang Sun and the uncle to all of these princes, turned their attention towards the young Li Zhi as the youngest son of Empress Zhang Sun, 
And so they crowned him as crown prince in 643 when he was only 15. Li Zhi then ascended the throne upon his father's death in 649. So this brings us to essentially where we are at the start of the drama. And now I want to discuss in history his relationship with Wu Meiniang. Wu Meiniang was a woman who was four years Li Zhi's senior. He, at that point, also had a wife and several concubines. However, during the last years of Li Shimin's reign, the emperor was perpetually bedridden. That meant that Wu Meiniang, who was still only a relatively lowly Ren, spent a lot of time by the emperor's bedside to care for him. Because, as I mentioned, she basically was a glorified secretary and maid. Now, who else might be by the emperor's bedside? Why, the crown prince Li Zhi, of course. It was during this time, right around the death of Emperor Li Shimin, that the two began an affair, literally right under the emperor's nose. Li Zhi was in his early 20s at this point, and Wu Meiniang was in her mid-20s. Now, during the Tang Dynasty, the rule was that when the emperor died, for concubines who had children, they could live out their days in the palace. For those women who weren't lucky enough to have born children, they were then sent to a Buddhist temple to live their lives as nuns. And that was the fate that Wu Meiniang met. She did become a nun and was sent to Ganye or Ganye Temple upon the death of Emperor Li Shimin. One year later, though, Li Zhi, who is now emperor, went to Ganye to pray to his father. There is a big question on why did he decide to go to a nunnery, essentially, to pray? Well, who did he meet there? The now nun Wu Meiniang. And, well, what was he to do? She was a woman of his father, but he wanted her as his own concubine. It was during this time that the two of them resumed their affair. Just as Emperor Li Zhi was struggling to find a solution, though, his own wife, a Wang Huanghou, or Empress Wang, came to the rescue and successfully brought Wu Meiniang back into the palace. Why would she do that? Well, this is not because she was super altruistic and said, sure, let me go against all morality and bring a nun back into the harem for my husband, but it was because she needed to find leverage against another rival of hers, a Xiao Shu Fei. I will stop here with our history discussion on the relationship between Li Zhi and Wu Meiniang, so that I can give you guys a hint and a flavor of, quite honestly, the scandalous nature of the Tang Dynasty. Like I said earlier, there are plenty of books and dramas that depict this era and story. If you're interested, pick a couple and watch them. They are all glamorous and quite salacious for some of them. In history, though, I do want to give more credence to Wu Meiniang. She knew what she wanted and what she needed to survive and seized every opportunity to do so. We do see that somewhat in this drama because we do see a very intelligent Wu Meiniang who is ambitious. 
From her interactions in history with Li Shimin and Li Zhi, the two men who were her husbands, we can see that she was a calculating yet intelligent woman to be able to find her way back into the palace. And this is just the early years of her life. We aren't even talking about the subsequent 50 years, where she then, of course, rises to become empress and emperor of the empire. Let's now, of course, discuss the historical counterparts of our main leads. We'll start off with the male lead, Pei Xingjian, because fortunately or unfortunately, there's just more recorded history of him. He was born in 619 and died in 682. He hailed from the prominent Pei family from Hedong. Why do I say that he came from a prominent family? Well, his great-grandfather and grandfather served the Northern Zhou Dynasty, while his father and older brother both served the Sui Dynasty. So when he came of age, the ruling dynasty was the Tang Dynasty, but he came from a very well-known family. During the reign of Emperor Tang Taizong, he did indeed come to the capital to take his imperial entrance exams, as we see early on in the drama. He was then sent into the military. The famed general Su Dingfang, who is the general we see in the drama, was quoted in saying that Pei Xingjian was the only person deemed worthy to learn his military tactics and strategy. Thus, General Su Dingfang taught Pei Xingjian all of his skills, stratagems, and learnings. Pei Xingjian, as an adult, was soon promoted to the equivalent of the Chang'an Magistrate. When the now Emperor Tang Gaozong Li Zhi was preparing to promote Wu Meiyang as Empress, Pei Xingjian, however, was not in favor of the move. He, along with other military officials, were secretly plotting alternatives. Unfortunately for him, they were discovered by Wu Meiyang, and he was subsequently banished to the western areas of the empire. This, however, was probably a boon for him, because although he was out in the west, this was where he made his biggest contributions to the empire, both during his exile and subsequently later in his life. In 665, Pei Xingjian was appointed the general of the Anxi Protectorate, and I believe this is where he became familiar with the Turkic ethnic groups and, during this time, convinced many to surrender to the Tang troops. He then returned back to Chang'an, where he was appointed a member of the Ministry of Personnel. It wasn't until the late 670s where he faced several Turkic groups head-on in either military battles or negotiations. The drama right now doesn't cover this time frame, and I hope we get to see that in the sequel because just looking at his historical achievements, which I'm very much glossing right now because we don't really cover that in the drama, they are very, very impressive indeed. Now, it was recorded that Pei Xingjian had two wives. His first wife was the daughter of Lu Shuang, who was in the Ministry of War. After she died, he remarried a woman of the Ku Di clan. This is, of course, the basis for Ku Di Liu Li. Which brings us now to discuss Ku Di Shi, or Miss Ku Di. Unfortunately, historical documents about this Ku Di Shi are relatively sparse. 
What we do know come from the epitaphs of her husband and son, but we can glean quite a bit. I read a really good article dissecting this Ku Di Shi, and it seems most probable that she was significantly younger than Pei Xingjian. There are several hints as to why we believe this. The first of which is because she was his second wife. Pei Xingjian would have at least had to mourn for a full two years before remarrying, so that at least gives us some um, kind of clue as to the fact that they probably weren't of the similar age. There also is the fact that Pei Xingjian does have other children born from his first wife. So again, it couldn't have been that she died immediately after they got married, and then he waited for another two years before remarrying. So there has to have been some time difference. Another hint is that the son between Pei Xingjian and Ku Di Shi was born in 678, only five years before the death of Pei Xingjian at the age of 64. This son then went on to become a pretty famous court minister. His name was Pei Guangping, but just based on kind of timeline and the feasibility of the pregnancy, I wouldn't say that Ku Di Shi was. Around sixty, or you know, even in her late fifties, when she had Pei Guangping, so there probably was like a fifteen-plus-year age gap. Ku Di Shi rose to favor with Empress Wu and the later Emperor Wu. In six eighty-nine, the newly crowned Emperor Wu summoned educated widowed women to essentially create her own group of female court ministers or nu guan. Ku Di was one of them. She. During her time, served Wu Zetian or Emperor Wu for over twenty years, basically acting as a favored court official and transcribing and writing documents. This spoke to her intellect and political acumen. Ku Di Shi was granted many titles, including Jin Guo Fu Ren, which translates to the Madam of the State of Jin. When Emperor Wu was forced to abdicate in the early eighth century. Unfortunately, Ku Di was also dismissed from her position, but her capabilities were still remembered by court. So much so that a future emperor requested her abilities at court. She, however, rejected the offer and died around seven seventeen. Thank you so much for listening to this intro to the drama episode. If you now, I want to talk about the last name of Ku Di. This honestly is the first time I'm hearing of this last name. What is quite intriguing about this drama is that it actually puts emphasis on Liu Li's non-Han Chinese background. In both the book and the drama, she is called a Hu Nu, which is a historical term generally for people from nomadic tribes to the west of mainland China. The drama translates this to Tatar ethnicity, which are different Turkic. Ethnic groups. Different dynasties have different definitions for what kind of person falls into the category of Hunu, but you get the general sense that they don't look like your common Han Chinese person. So it is interesting that Liu Li, her mother, and young Liu Li are all acted by women from Xinjiang Province. I don't know now if they would exactly be considered Hunu back in the day, but still, it's good to see recognition that they are not Han Chinese. 
Generally, in other Chinese dramas featuring Guli Naja or let's say Di Liu Ba and also Tong Li Ya, they typically just gloss over the fact or ignore the fact that they are not of Han descent. Indeed, Pei Xingjian's second wife in history did come from the Kuldi tribe. The Kuldi tribe, or Kuldi, is a name that originated from the Xianbei people, a tribe of people from the Mongolia and Inner Mongolia regions of China, which created separate kingdoms throughout the years and did engage with the Tang dynasty during that time period. As I've stated, it is very rare to have actors and actresses from ethnic minorities in China portray characters who are also of ethnic minorities in a drama, which is why I want to showcase the additional two actresses who have only limited screen time as Madame An and little Liu Li, but I do think that it would be great to call out that um, these are the lovely ladies representing different ethnic minorities in China. First up is, of course, Madame An, who is portrayed by Mai Lina. She was born in the city of Urmuti in Xinjiang province in 1987, and she is of the Uyghur ethnic minority. She got her big break in the 2011 remake of Pearl Princess or Xin Huan Zhu Gege as Xiang Fei, a princess from the Hui minority. She then continued to act in several dramas and movies over the past decade, but she really hasn't broken out as an actress. This might have to do with the fact that she decided to spend more time with family uh, in the past couple of years, recently giving birth to a second child in 2021. And finally, we have Ai Keda. She is a super cute young girl who portrays little Liu Li in the drama. She is also from the Xinjiang province. Ai Keda, honestly captured quite a bit of attention with this role as the cute young Liu Li because she was very moving and quite a good actress in the scenes that she had. In the past year or so, she's released a couple of songs and I hope that she has a bright future ahead of her in the Chinese entertainment industry. Thank you so much for listening to this intro to the drama episode. If you are interested in watching this drama, it is available on Jubao TV, which is available on several platforms in the US and just launched on Plex TV and is available for free with English subtitles. We will catch you all in the next podcast episode.